I leave alive. Thanks, Maddie. Make sure you keep 1 Samuel 25 open. We're going to be uh, looking at that together. But I want to begin by talking about the greatest wisdom parable of modern times. And of course, it's the movie from last century, um, Forrest Gump. I mean, think about it. Forrest Gump is a movie that is full of amazing, uh, profound sayings. Uh, Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. I mean, boom, right? right? That, that's something you could just ponder for, for weeks. And, and it's something to hold on to, isn't it? When, when the uncertainties of life happen, when, when bushfires sweep the place and when COVID happens and you lose your job and then locusts eat your garden, you can go, well, life is like a box of chocolates. And, and that will just help everything sort of go through when you adjust and all that. Look, I, I probably shouldn't be too hard because my mama always told me that sarcasm was the lowest form of wit. But also, I shouldn't say it because in a sense, or mock it, because Forrest Gump actually is a wisdom parable. The character Forrest Gump is seemingly a little bit slow, simple, unsophisticated. But throughout the movie, it's actually him. It's he who is the one who, because of his conviction about right and wrong, it's because he applies his mama's wisdom and puts it into practice, he ends up making not just good decisions, but the thing, story of the movie is that he makes astoundingly great decisions. And yet, meanwhile, he's contrasted with the cool character, the, the pretty one, the one that's smart and popular and seems to have everything that the world values, and Jenny, and, and, and she gets swept up in the moods and the fashions of the time and tossed around back and forth, and, and her life ends up becoming a mess. You know, it's often been said of wisdom that wisdom is far more important than intelligence. And that is one of the big messages of Forrest Gump. Now, it might sound weird to link the two, but it's also the testimony of the Bible as well. Wisdom is one of life's great treasures and foolishness is one of the world's um, worst kinds of affliction. The foundation of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And the greatest of foolishnesses is actually to spend your life rejecting him. And that's what we're going to see in this passage that we're going to be looking at today. Forrest says, stupid is as stupid does. And in chapter 5, we actually get to meet Captain Stupid and his very, very unstupid wife. Have a look at verse 2. A certain man in Maon who had property there at Carmel was very wealthy. He had a thousand goats and three thousand sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. And he was a Calebite. We're told that this man is rich, very rich. 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats is serious wealth back then. It's probably fairly wealthy now. It's shearing time for the flocks and so for Nabal, you know, that means it's also payday. And the man was blessed in another way. He had this wonderful wife called Abigail. Now, in the original language, Abigail is described as a woman of good sense and beautiful form. But the man himself 
is not described in complementary terms at all. I mean, for starters, his name is Nabal. Now, look, it's got to be said that some, sometimes parents just don't think things through, right, when they're naming their children. So I was looking at an article which was talking about this and some of the unfortunate names that people have for their kids and there was a couple of twins who were born into the, a family that surname was Still and their names were Sid and Stan. Think about it. And one lady mentioned a teacher at her school whose name was Robin Graves. But my favourite is this one. Another family had three children that they called Faith, Hope and Kevin. <laughs> Beautiful combination. Well, you might wonder, what on earth possessed Nabal's parents to call him Nabal, right? Because that name means fool. They called their kid <laughs> fool. But foolish is only as foolish does. And unfortunately, Nabal also lives up to his name. We're told that he was harsh, and, and, and the NIV says mean, but it's actually evil, evil in his dealings. Nabal was rich, but he was not a, a reasonable man. He didn't get rich by playing nice or being fair. Now, before we go a bit further, I want to show you some geography and just to get your, your bearings on this passage for a minute. So, verse 1 tells us that David had fled from the land of Israel. And he actually fled all the way out of the land of Israel um, to the south to the wilderness, to the desert of Paran. While Nabal lives in Maon, which is in the hill country of Judah and had property at, at a place nearby called Carmel. Now, as you might see on that map there, there's a fairly big gap between the two. It's about 100 kilometres between where David is and where Nabal is. But the thing is, is that earlier, while David was hiding away from Saul, that was the area where he hid. It was also near the place where the Ziphites, who we got annoyed at last week, were from. And, and he and his men stayed around the area where Nabal and his, Nabal's shepherds, a big part, were looking after the sheep. Well, David finds out, down where he is in the wilderness, that Nabal is actually shearing. Now, he's in the wilderness with 600 men and, well, the wilderness is not exactly known for its abundance, it's wild. But Nabal, well, he's already loaded and he's about super rich now because it's payday, it's shearing time. And so, David's thinking, well, look, I've helped him out in the past, uh, maybe Nabal can spare some things uh, for me and my men. And so, David sends off 10 young men to go up to uh, travel the distance to Nabal's place and to put the request to him. So look at David, it says in verse 5 to 8, Go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, Long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep searing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your own servants, they'll tell you. Therefore, be favourable toward my men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. Now look, I mean, you heard that. That, that is such a, a, a gently, graciously put request. And it sounds pretty reasonable. He's not asking for the world. He's just asking politely for whatever... Nabal can afford at a time when he's got an absolute abundance. But what do we remember about Nabal? He wasn't a fair man. Nabal's response to David's men, it actually is about as contemptuous 
and calculated to offend as you can get. The guy's a jerk. Listen to this. Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? I don't know him. Of course, Nabal knows who David is. All of Israel knew who David is. And in fact, of course he knows who David is because he knows who David's dad is. He actually names him Jesse. But he also knows something else, and that is that David has been driven out of the land by Saul. And so when David was on his doorstep with 600 men, well, okay, then you're going to play nice, aren't you? But now that David's not even in the country and Saul's driven him out, well, David is, is nobody that Nabal thinks he needs to actually pay any attention to. Go away, David, you're, you're a thing of the past. So he snidely remarks that yeah, many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. David's just like a rebellious slave and he's run away from his master Saul. He's abandoned him and run away like a dog with its tails between his legs. As if I'm going to give all my bread and my water and my meat that I've butchered for my shearers and give them to some riffraff. Now, I actually think that Nabal couldn't care less about his shearers and their well-being. It's it's his prophet that he cares about. Well, in response to David's gracious words of blessing to him and all of his household and everything that's his, Nabal mocks David and he sends his messengers away empty-handed with nothing but insults to carry with them. Now, let's just remember who David really is. He's the guy that even when he was a youth, was brave enough to take on lions and bears in the wild. He was fierce enough to taunt and then kill the huge Goliath in single combat. And when Saul calls on him to get 100 Philistine foreskins, kind of hoping he's going to die, David goes off and says, forget that, I'm going to get 200. And he's won every single battle that he's fought. He's done it with spectacular success. Oh, and Samuel has anointed him as Saul's replacement for the king of God's people. Now that is the man that Nabal, surrounded by his sheep and his goats, has chosen to mock and insult. What an idiot. You know... You do that and it doesn't matter that David is 100 kilometres away. Nabal has just signed his own death warrant. And true enough, when, when news, his messengers get back to David and tell him what Nabal said, he doesn't take it well. Have a look at verse 13. It's basically, strap on your swords, lads. You know, all that David wanted was just some of Nabal's excess just to help feed his men and return a a deed done in kindness with an act of kindness of his own. Well, now Nabal is about to lose much, much more than he would have had to have given. See, 400 armed combat veterans are now on their way and they are going to teach him some manners. Well, meanwhile, back up north at Carmel, word of Nabal's foolishness had spread itself through his household and reaches Abigail. Uh, Have a look with me at verses 14 and following. One of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings. 
but he hurled insults at them. And yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us the whole time we were herding our sheep near them. Now think it over and see what you can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He's such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. See, the truth was is that David didn't just not plunder Nabal's flocks when he was near them. David and his men actually protected Nabal's flocks. There's a reason why Nabal's fortunes have risen so much and why his flock is so big this year. It's because David and his men kept all of the animals and their carers safe from brigands or wild animals. And now Nabal has gone and insulted David's messengers. And, and so the servants are kind of going, this fool's going to get us killed, Abigail. You've got to do something. And so Abigail, who is full of good sense, gets to work. Time is pressing. It's going to take some time, some days, for David's messengers to get back to David and for then him to return with his army. But Abigail's got a lot to get ready in the meantime. You remember, there's no food processors and microwaves. This is some serious cooking that's got to be done. So she prepares 200 loaves of bread, we're told, two skins of wine, five butchered sheep, 27 kilograms of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of pressed figs. It's almost like she's trying to feed an army. And she then loads them on donkeys and sends off her servants ahead of her on the road. She tells nothing, of course, to Nabal about what she's doing. Well, she was only just in time. David's messengers must have made very quick time getting back to David and he double-timed her to get back to Carmel and that's got to tell you a little bit about how steely his mindset is right now. Now, she's riding her donkey down one of the mountain passes of Carmel and then she sees David and his 400 men coming around the corner towards her and she overhears David making this blood-chilling remark to his men. Now, I think the NIV um, has got... Uh, the, the ESV has a better sense, really, I think, of this, the, the power of this Hebrew phrase than the ESV, um, than the NIV. So I've got it there on the screen for you. Surely in vain have I guarded all that this fellow has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he's returned me evil for good. God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave so much as one male of all who belong to him. Now let me tell you, the wording here is very harsh. It's the kind of crude oath that a soldier makes when he's prepared to, as they say, rip someone a new one. He doesn't say male here either. It's literally anyone who urinates against a wall is going to be dead by morning. Ouch. Now, there's no time to lose. And so Abigail gets quickly off the donkey and she bows face first to the ground in front of David. Now, before we continue the story, we need to observe something. Last week, Saul was the hunter and it was David who was forced to bow face to the ground. Saul was the one that was coming in power and wrath to hunt down a dead dog, a flea. And now it is David himself that's the one hunting down a fool. 
Now, when Saul's blood was up, what did he do? He had all of the priests of the Lord at Nob and their families and their enemies brutally murdered. So now that David's blood is up, is he going to be as bloodthirsty as Saul now that he feels slighted? Well, not if Abigail, wise Abigail, has anything to do with it. Now, it's a magnificent speech. Everything, everything that was rash and wicked and ungracious about Nabal finds its wonderful opposite in Abigail. Um, First, she actually takes the guilt upon herself. Literally, she says, it is with me, me, Lord, the iniquity. Then she says, let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please, pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. And as for me, your servant, I, I did not see the men my Lord sent. Now, I know that we're all meant to speak well of our spouses, but you know, this is a life and death situation here, so Abigail just kind of tells it as it is. Nabal is a wicked fool. Now, the word wicked there is the same word worthless that was a description used of Eli's awful sons at the beginning of the book. And in terms of being a fool, if it was an Olympic event, well, Nabal was actually born to win the gold medal in it. And, and so, so no one, she's saying, no one, least of all you, David, least of all you, should actually expect anything different from him. The guy is a fool. Stupid is as stupid does. And her advice to David is the same that David's son Solomon would later write. And that is, you don't answer a fool according to his folly. Abigail says, look, it's on me. It's my fault. I'm not a fool. And if I'd been there and saw your messengers, I would have provided what you need. I just wasn't there. And she, so she gives the offering that she'd prepared, that Nabal should have prepared, in order to make up for the offence, and she asks David for his forgiveness. A soft answer turns away wrath. But I want you to see that Abigail is more than gracious and humble here. She's truly wise. Now, maybe her next words are in response to hearing David's determination to cover the ground with blood. But she sees that God's hand in this. God has brought her here that day. And not just to save Nabal's men, but to save David from something he would regret, from shedding innocent blood in a fit of vengeance. You know, in front of the cave in last week's passage, when he was not in the power position... David entrusted himself to the Lord to act as judge. Well, he needs to do the same thing now when he does have the power position. God's king needs to act with righteousness and mercy always. He needs to entrust himself to God in times of power and in times of weakness. And so in the form of a blessing, Abigail has some wisdom to give David. Look at verse 29. Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely 
in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling. As from the pocket of a sling? Abigail definitely knows who David is and what he's done. But she also knows who he will be as well. Look at verse 30. When the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience, literally on his heart, the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself. And when the Lord your God has brought my Lord success, remember your servant. Now I have to say that there is some very, very profound things in that speech by Abigail that time prevents us from digging further into now. So please listen to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast, if you haven't listened to to it before yet, please listen to it this week because there's some amazing things in there that you'd, you'd love to be able to tell you about. But I want you to listen to her wisdom here. She says, God's going to look after you, David. You're the future king. And so, so trust him and, 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 and don't do something beneath you. Even if Nabal does deserve it, be gracious. Be the better man and hold the high ground and keep it. Because for God's king, mercy should triumph over judgment. Well, wisdom is not just found in the one who gives good advice. Wisdom is found in the one who listens to and heeds good advice. In this way, David shows himself to be the wise king who does fear the Lord. And he hears what Abigail says and he recognises her wisdom and he also sees the Lord's activity behind their meeting that day. Look at what he says there in verse 32. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who's kept me from harming you, if you hadn't come too quickly to meet me, not one male belonging to Nabal would have been left alive by daybreak. And then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace, I have heard your words and granted your request. Thanks to the Lord, through his servant Abigail, David maintains his righteousness and he faithfully waits on the Lord to vindicate him. And guess what? The Lord doesn't take very long. So Abigail goes back home and there's Nabal, the fool, feasting like a king, right? It's a feast time. Everything's coming in, he's loaded, he's in his happy place, right? In fact, in the original it says his heart was good to him or good for him. He's got everything he wants. He's got a full stomach and he's absolutely drunk as a lord. Now again, Abigail's wise, right? She says nothing until the morning because if he says and does such foolish things when he's sober, what's he going to do when he's drunk? Let him enjoy his moment and I'll tell him when he's nursing his hangover in the morning. Well, when she does, the shock 
literally kills him. He has a seizure and he dies of it 10 days later. The Lord struck him dead. Verse 39, when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. See, through Abigail, God taught David a very important lesson in wisdom, that evil begets evil. And it's the kings like the nations, it's the kings like Saul that that punish a slight with disproportionate bloodshed to make a point or because what pride has been wounded and they want everyone to know that they're king. But God's king, God's king must act righteously with humility and wisdom and restraint and be one who trusts God to uphold his cause. Just because you've got power over someone doesn't mean you need to exert that power over them. And just because you've been provoked does not mean that you have to respond in kind. With wisdom comes restraint and faith. And David would apply that lesson when in the very next chapter, he again has got the opportunity to take Saul out and put his knife in him. And the contrast between the wisdom of David and the foolishness of Saul again starts, stands out sharper than ever. Saul was just a, a more subtle version, really, of, of Nabal. Harsh, evil, unreasonable in his dealings. David had been good to him and got treated evilly in return. You know, to reject the Lord's anointed is to reject the Lord that anointed him. And at the end of the incident in chapter 26, Saul will recognise the fact and confess that he was the fool. He was a Nabal. If to fear the Lord and shun evil is wisdom, then to ignore the Lord and embrace wickedness is truly the essence of folly. Now, before I go to the last critical part of this talk, let me just share a handful of general tips if you're trying to think through this idea of wisdom and how to grow in it. I mean, the first thing, of course, that the Scripture teaches us to do is, is to pray for it. You know, James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Pray and ask God for all of the wisdom you need. He says, come on, ask me for it. My second suggestion would be, look, of course, go to the Scriptures. Um, And some of the Scriptures are written deliberately to help us grow in wisdom. Um, Books like Proverbs and James. Read them, but the thing about learning wisdom is take your time with it. Wisdom is best learned when you study it and reflect upon what it's, it's trying to say and ponder it. And then, of course, having pondered it and gone, hey, that's really true. Don't just stick it as a meme on your Facebook post or something or as a poster on your wall. Put it into practice. But my last tip springs really, I guess, from some of the things we've seen in 1 Samuel 25. When when it comes to wisdom, one of the most important things to do is to develop an internal pause button and press it a lot. With God's help and under the guidance of God's Word, master your desires. Listen before you speak pause. 
Reflect before you react. Pause. And always remember that in the end, you are playing to an audience of one. And what is right in God's eyes matters more than what's right in the eyes of everyone else. Now, David was the king that God had chosen. But in time, as happens with us all, perfect wisdom proved beyond him. And worse still, actually, Abigail's words to David here come back to haunt him. Because the time's going to come when David's hands, sadly, will be stained with needless bloodshed. And he, as a result of that, will be filled with remorse and a troubled conscience. But a couple of hundred years later, the prophet Isaiah would look forward to a descendant of David whose wisdom wouldn't fail, the king of kings. And and look at how Isaiah describes him in chapter 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. And he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes, or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy, and with justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And now that king has come. Jesus Christ, as 1 Corinthians says, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And the way that we respond to him is going to testify to whether we ourselves are wise or foolish. Friends, foolish is as foolish does. And there are a lot of Nabals in our world. People who may or may not be wealthy, that doesn't, is not so much the issue, but they, they give no mind to the Lord or his ways. And they give no honour to the Lord's anointed. Nabal carried on like he was the king. There he was, a a so-called self-made man who was too foolish to realise that there is no such thing. We all have a creator that we answer to. Jesus told a parable about the Nabal mindset and it was the reading that we had from Luke chapter 12 earlier. It was, it's about a man who looked no further than his wealth and his food and his lifestyle and his property Sound familiar? And he basked in self-satisfaction. This is it. This is the life. And yet God looked at his life and came up with a very different verdict. Look at verse 20 of Luke chapter 12. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you and then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. Look, that's been all of us at some point. We've all been fools at times. I guess the question is this, is is will a person stay a fool or will they humble themselves before God and so become wise? Wisdom humbly goes to the Messiah and asks for forgiveness for seeking our treasure in things and instead of him. 
you know, one of the things about studying books like 1 Samuel is that we can so easily slip into a very simplistic formula. We sort of think, all right, well, I know this is meant to point me to Jesus. Well, how does, how does David... It's just like there's only two crowns there. How does David point us to Christ? Mm-hmm. And how does Saul a contrast with Christ? And, and sometimes if we just go there, we can actually miss what's sitting right in front of us. Because, you know, the Christ doesn't just wear a crown. He wears the linen of a priest, an intercessor, a mediator, one who makes atonement and sacrifice for sin. See, it's, it's not just David that points us to Christ in today's passage, is it? Surely Abigail does in, in one of the most powerful ways you're going to read about. Because she does more than wisely talk David down from making a big mistake and give him good counsel on what a king should be like. Wisdom is as wisdom does. And it isn't, by, isn't it by her deeds that Abigail points us to the one who, though innocent, would take our faults and confess them as if they were his. To, to, to the one who would pay the price that the sinners should have paid in order to turn aside to propitiate the wrath that right by right should be coming the way of the sinner from the one who's been sinned against. And at the end, an offering that actually gets heard and accepted and the proclamation of peace is given after it. See, the the greatest display of God's wisdom is not in what Jesus says, it's in what he did. That's the pinnacle of it. it. It's the seeming foolishness of the cross that far exceeds all of the pinnacles of human wisdom because it is there that the folly of people like you and me is atoned for. And in its place, we find forgiveness and mercy and hope and life. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he who had no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, we rejoice because of the peace that we know with you because of him. Father, first and foremost, help us to be wise and respond to your grace with faith and repentance. And also, Father, help us to take after Abigail and especially take after our Lord Jesus in interceding for those that we know who are foolish or lost and don't know their Messiah when they see him. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.